just want to say welcome to everyone. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to uh, Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is where we have been and where we will be for a few more weeks. And I'm Zach, I'm one of the pastors here. And just a couple side notes. Um, there was like, like uh, hiccups in the music. Can we just say that that's not a big deal? Okay, so not a big deal. And that's not our style of church where everything has to be slick and put together and perfect. And so no pressure. It makes us human. You know, we want to pursue excellence, but excellence doesn't mean that we don't screw up at times. I've been on stage as a musician many years and had way more uh, screw ups than anything we saw this morning. And so um, be encouraged. Um, It's all good. And secondly, I want to say welcome to the uh, Ecuador team. Welcome back. Yeah. So, bienvenido a, a nuestro equipo de Ecuador. Si? Es correcto? Tony, is that good? Bienvenido. I'm working on my Spanish, so when I go down there and teach, someday I'll be able to just roll with it. But we're so thankful for so many Spanish speakers in this church. And I've heard some great reports already, and we're going to have them give some testimonies next week. And then what was the third thing? Oh, the third thing. Uh, I just want you to take note that whoever, um, um, uh, Matt, our service host, and um, Danielle, and, and um, gosh, Ray, Ray, I love you. We're, I love you like my brother. I just, it's been a long morning. That's right. And Ben, uh, I just want to draw your attention to these are members of our core team for Eastside Church. And uh, just to see them up here. Uh, serving our church is a really cool thing that their team is starting to solidify and that we as the vine get the opportunity to send. And just that was a cool visual this morning of all Eastside church people serving together. And so I just want to draw our attention to that, that we get the privilege of, at the vine of being a sending church. And um, that was symbolized this morning. And I want us to just re- notice that, rejoice in that, and we're going to be talking a lot more about that. And, and Chris at the soundboard. Give it up for Chris at the soundboard. Come on. Also Eastside um, and Alec at the computer. I don't think he's Eastside. We'll keep you. We like you. <laughs> no, we like everybody. Um, uh, so anyway, um, we're so thankful for these things. All right, enough squirreliness for an intro, and let's look at Matthew chapter 5 here. We are in a series in the Beatitudes, and Beatitudes, uh, there's a Latin word in there that I can't pronounce um, about as well as I pronounce my Spanish, um, that means blessing, and that's why it's called Beatitudes. These are Jesus' statements of what it means to live a life that is blessed. What does it mean to be in a, a healthy relationship with God? That's what, that's what blessing means. The, the most blessed you can be is to be in a healthy relationship with your creator, with your savior. And Jesus tells us how we can do that. And that's what we've been studying these last few weeks. And today we're looking at verse 6. Today we're looking at verse 6. Look at it with me. Jesus says to his followers, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Let's pray. 
Father, we long for your word to just light a fire in our hearts that empowers us to look like you to an onlooking world. And so, Lord, we know that your word is given as a gift for teaching, for training, for reproof, for correction, training in righteousness. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning in this verse, that that we're hungering and thirsting for righteousness, Lord. And you've said that your word, inspired, breathed out by God, is given so that we can be trained in righteousness. And so I pray we would receive that this morning as, as a gift, as a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So right out of the gate this morning, I want us to look at these words and unpack them. Um, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness. What does this word mean? It can mean a lot of different things. In the Bible, the word righteousness is a very profound and, and, and deep word. But I want to start this morning with a warning about how we could potentially misunderstand this verse. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness doesn't mean trying to earn your right standing with God through sheer effort. Okay, did you hear that? Hungry and thirsting for righteousness does not mean trying to earn your right standing with God through sheer effort. Like if I just hunger more and if I just thirst more, then, then God will look down on my efforts and at some arbitrary point will say, well, that's enough, that's pretty good. And as a result of you working really hard, I'll give you salvation and you can spend eternity with me. That's not the gospel. That's the opposite of the gospel. Problem is, we're spring-loaded to believe that message, right? If I just get my act together, then God will like me. More striving, more effort, more control, more sweating, more pressure. And the reason why I say that we can't interpret this verse that way is because Jesus has already told us that that's not how you get to be seen in a right relationship with God. That's not the way in which you have your sins forgiven. That's not the way in which you're going to stand at judgment day and say, man, Lord, would you, would you take me and, and check out this list of good deeds? And he says, yeah, yeah, that, that's good. I'll take those good deeds. Okay, come on. That's not how it works. Jesus told us that's not how it works. And I want to show you this so you know I'm not making this up uh, through a chapter 18 of the book of Luke. Would you turn there with me? It'll be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. But chapter 18 of Luke, starting in verse 9. Luke 18, 9. And Jesus is gathering some people around him who weren't quite ready to be his followers. And they were prideful. And so he told them a story about how the kingdom of God works. This has a lot to do with our understanding of righteousness. When we look, when we jump back to the beatitude in Matthew 5, 6. He also told this parable, Luke 18, 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. There's that word again, righteousness, righteous. So what do we learn? There's a group of people he's talking to, and they're thinking that they can attain righteousness in their own power. That's what it means there, to trust in themselves that they were righteous. Okay, you with me? And as a result, what happened? 
They treated others with contempt. They looked down on others. Like, how come you can't get your act together like me? What's your problem? Aren't you willing to work hard? So Jesus tells these kind of people this story. He says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, one a Pharisee so like a religious elite, and the other a tax collector, okay? Tax collectors were notorious sinners. Okay, so religious elite, notorious sinner. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. And so get ready here, God, to hear my list of what I'm really good at. This is what I'm trusting in, that I fast twice a week, and I'm really generous. I give tithes of all that I get. So basically he's saying, God, check me out. Check out my good deeds. Look at what I'm doing. I'm so generous, right? I tithe. I give a tenth. And then I, I refrain from eating. I, I'm fasting so that I can show everyone that I'm dedicated to you. God, look at all this awesome stuff that I'm doing. I know you look down at me and think, man, you, you got it all together. Is that true? But the tax collector, verse 13, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. No list of good deeds. No obedience resume. You with me? Short statement. Religious elite, he's got a lot to say. The person, tax collector, notorious sinner, short statement. Not a lot to say. But the content of what they have to say is very, very important. Verse 14. I tell you, Jesus says, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house. Look at the word. It says justified. Another word, translation means made righteous. Rather than the religious elite guy. Why? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So what do we learn there? How do you get righteousness? Is it through sheer effort? Is it your, your obedience resume? How, how do you get to be seen as just before God? How, how do you know for a fact that your sins aren't counted against you on the day of judgment? How does that happen? Well, we learn from Jesus right here in, in black and white, it's simply by casting yourself on the mercy of God. It's just that simple statement, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Like, it takes faith to say that. That A, that he'll hear me. That B, that he'll forgive me. That, that C, he's got a reason to forgive me. Simply by faith, casting yourself on God's promise that if you humble yourself, repent of your sin, turn from it, and trust his mercy in the cross and the empty tomb, and believe in your heart that is true, that you will be declared righteous by God. Like, that's the gospel. That's how this works. That's how you get righteousness that you need to be accepted by God. It's not something you earn. It's simply casting yourself on the mercy of God and saying, Lord, will you forgive me? He says, yes, 
I showed that I loved you in the cross. I showed that I de defeated the penalty of, of sin that is death at the empty tomb. And, and I'm going to give this to you, this righteousness that you don't have. I, I demand it from you. And because you asked, I, in faith, I will give it to you. Nothing that you did on your own. Right? No climbing a ladder of good deeds. No obedience resume. It's worthless. Okay? We, we got to burn this message into our brains because everything within us, our default setting is to be like, earn, earn, earn. And, and Jesus just showed us here in Luke 18, that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. Just cast yourself on his mercy. Just cast yourself on his mercy. You don't get any of the credit. He gets all the glory and the credit. And then you get the joy of knowing that you stand free, forgiven, adopted in the family of God. Jesus is saying, you want righteousness? Luke 18, 9 through 13 is how you're going to get it. Bookmark that passage. Remind yourself of this passage. So then, the next question becomes this. What's the response? What's the response to Luke 18, 9? Place yourself imaginatively in the shoes of the tax collector. Where you come to Jesus and you say to him, I got nothing. I'm just going to have to cast myself in your mercy. I know I can't climb the ladder of good deeds. My, my, my obedience resume has got zero on it. It's garbage. It's worthless. And Jesus declares you righteous out of sheer mercy and grace alone. What's the response going to be? If you hear those words, I don't count it against you. I paid for those sins already. It is finished. It's done. It's done. It's a done deal. If you hear those words from Jesus of, of sheer mercy and grace alone, what, what's the response going to be? Is the response going to be, well, thanks, Jesus. Okay, I got to go and, and get back to some sinning. Is that the response? No, that's unthinkable, right? It's going to be, Jesus, you're utterly amazing. I want to be around you more. I want to listen to you more. I want to walk with you more and get as much time with you as I can. In light of what you've done here for me, my, my, my sin, it looks weak. It looks unattractive. I want, I want your way of doing things. I want to spend time with you. You see? So it's that kind of response that's, that's fueled by the truth of the gospel of what you experience in the gospel that empowers a hungering and thirsting that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5, 6. You see? That's what hungering and thirsting for righteousness looks like. Jesus, I just want to hang with you. I just want to be around you. In light of what you've done, I, I, want, I can't get enough of you. I want more of you. Like you've satisfied me in this forgiveness, and I just want more. I just want more of you because you're so amazing. You see? And that's an indicative, just, just going back to a series a few months ago, of the Holy Spirit being alive in you when you're able to say that. That's a miracle of grace. That's, that's an in indication. If that's you, if you relate to that, that's evidence that God has sovereignly drawn you by his love and his mercy. And, 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 and your ability to look at Jesus and say that is a sheer gift of his grace where he's given you new spiritual taste buds. Sin used to taste good, and now it doesn't anymore, not in the same way. You're able to taste and see now that the Lord is good. 
You're, you're being remade into the image of Jesus, being remade to look like Jesus. See, those who are Christians will have a desire, at least in some measure, to hunger and thirst to pursue God and his way of doing things, the righteous way. That's what this is about. That's what this is about. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Now, let's talk about these, these words, hungering and thirsting. Jesus uses these words because we can all relate to it, right? A hunger, a thirst. It's a human experience, right? Eating and drinking, it's, it's like... Um, it's like a centerpiece of what it means to be a human being in some ways, right? Like we eat and we drink. That's just what we do. You go to a marriage ceremony. Afterwards, there's a reception. And what do you do? Like if you showed up to the reception, there's nothing to eat or drink. You'd be like, this is lame, right? Right? That's what we do. We eat and drink after the wedding. And ironically, we do the exact same thing after a funeral, right? You eat and you drink, Right? What, what else can we think of? Hospitality. When you invite someone over, you know, you, they come in the door. What's the first thing you say? Hey, can I get you something to drink? Or you invite someone over to have a meal, right? That's just what we do. Our hospitality centers around eating and drinking. Think about how we seek to comfort one another. Like uh, we have so many uh, new moms at our church. And what do we do when there's a baby born? And we, do, we don't do a lot of things well. But one thing we do do well is we provide food, right? Right? If someone just had a baby, what do we do? We give them some food. And if there's like a tragedy has happened, well, that's the most tangible way that sometimes we serve one another. It's like, man, you're bearing the weight of something. Man, we want to give you food, right? We want to help you. Take one less worry like food prep off, off your brain. Billion-dollar industry in our culture worldwide centers around food, restaurants, grocery stores, right? Think of that. Weight loss industry. We're going to do whatever we can to help you eat less. Technology, pills, diets, websites, workout plans. It's all there. It's, it's like what this food, hungry and thirsting thing. It's just part of who we are. Why? Because God created us this way, right? Eating is good. It's what we do. It's a huge part of our life. And we all know that how you eat or how you drink can lead to blessing or it can lead to a lot of suffering, right? If you eat wrong, it has many consequences. Weight gain, lower energy, maybe bad dental health, blood pressure, heart problems, etc. And here's the, thing, here's the problem. If there's all these risks, why is it that the foods that are the worst taste the best? What kind of sick joke is this, Right? It's amazing. Like if you want to feel healthy like a superhero, man, you're just consigned to grilled chicken breasts and broccoli and kale, right? That's what you get. And you'll feel great. And if you want to feel like garbage, it's like Cheesecake Factory every night. Get a Slurpee at the 7-Eleven. They still have Slurpees? That still exist? As long as I was a kid, you go to 7-Eleven, you get a Slurpee. Is that still around? No, you guys are eating healthy. You don't know what's up with that, <laughs> right? But here's the thing that is so interesting. It's like the, the nasty stuff, it tastes so good going down, right? That, that, that just explosion of taste on your taste buds of sugar. You get this rush of enjoyment. It's like, oh, it tastes so good. 
we, we had a dinner um, a, few, a few months ago when we were in Europe with some friends, and uh, we had the dessert where my friend Kirsten, she said she was about ready to start crying. <laughs> Tears of joy. It was so good. You know what I mean? Like, that's what, that's what sugar can do to us. We have this rush of enjoyment at times. But if you just do the, 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 the unhealthy stuff nonstop, what happens? Eventually, it tastes good going down, but it doesn't sit well, right? It doesn't sit well. It doesn't produce blessing long term. It doesn't produce happiness long term. Here's the statement. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. And as we continue to think about the human experience, isn't that what we're all about? Isn't that just our default setting? I just want satisfaction. I just want to be satisfied. It's kind of what we do no matter what. It's just, it's just human nature. We will pursue that which we believe will bring us the most satisfaction in life. You can't not do that. Even if you're flirting with suicide, people that take their own life tragically, they're believing that will bring them the most satisfaction because of the severe suffering. We will pursue that which we believe will bring us the most satisfaction. So it's epidemic in our culture that we run after sex. We believe that if we just have the right kind of sex as we define it, we'll finally be happy. It's the reason why sex sells. It's the reason why we run after money. How much money is enough? Just a little bit more. Right? It's always just a little bit more. Have you ever run into someone who said, you know what, the money I have right now, and I'm good. If that never changes ever, I'm good. We never say that. It's like, man, if I just had a, it's always just out there on the horizon, right? If I just had a little bit more, just a little bit more. How much is enough? Eh, just a little more. Does that sound like satisfaction to you? Does that sound like, man, I'm just, I have this deep sense of contentment. No, it's like more, more, more. It's why, it's why we run hard after relationships. If I can just get that person to marry me, then I'll be happy. If I can just get this group of people, this group of friends to, to like me, to approve of me, to accept me, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be satisfied. There's that word. Do, do all those things bring ultimate satisfaction? Don't get me wrong. Those are all good gifts from the Lord. Sex, money, relationships, those are good gifts that God has created for the right context, right? But they were not created because created things never ultimately satisfy. Romans 1 says, we worship the created thing and not the creator. And that's the number one indicator of rejecting God. Created things were never intended to bring you ultimate satisfaction. Created things are a good gift in their proper place. Never ultimate satisfaction. But here's the amazing news this morning that we see in Matthew 5-6. God has not remained silent about what it takes for you to be satisfied. Did you hear that? God has not remained silent about what it takes for you and this universal human experience to desire to be satisfied, to be satisfied. He says it's possible. Did you see it? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they might be satisfied. That's not what it says. It says they will, they shall be satisfied. 
Let's talk about hungering again. Have you ever experienced just like, just being like really, really hungry, like ravenously hungry, like don't get in my way or someone might get hurt kind of hunger? Right? You ever experienced that? Yeah. So I used to, I don't do much of this anymore, but I used to run 5Ks, 10Ks. I was really into running. Did a couple half marathons. And in training for a longer race, like a half marathon, you would have to do, at least in my training programs, you would have like a once a week long day. We're going to go out and run 8, 9, 10, 11 miles. It was very common for me to get done with those long days and have this drive to eat when I was done that was a little bit scary. You know, like do not get between me and some food right now. Like I, I remember um, I finished my first half marathon and I never run that far before because in training you don't ever do the whole race. And I was pushed to the limits um, very, very seriously. That's a whole other story. But I remember at the end of that race, you know, they always have this big spread of food, of bananas and oranges and granola bars and, and bagels and all that stuff. And I think I ingested more food in a one-hour period just in my mouth as fast as possible. As, I mean, I'll never forget it. It's like I can't believe how much I'm eating right now because, I, you know, I depleted myself. I was at probably such a caloric deficit. My body was just screaming at me for sustenance. And then what happened? What happened? You reach a certain point after you eat and you eat and you eat where your body says, enough. We're now satisfied. You've reached the point of satisfaction. So it's okay now to stop eating. And that's what happened on that day for me. I felt satisfied, thankful. And here's the beauty of this verse. Jesus says that you can have the same experience. If you're ravenously hungry for righteousness there is going to be satisfaction. Meaning, if you're, if you're ravenously hungry, another way to think of righteousness is just simply this, God's way of doing things. If you're ravenously hungry and thirsty for God's way of doing things, he's not gonna leave you wanting. He's not gonna leave you just like empty. Said differently, if you're deeply longing to be satisfied, Jesus said there's only one way to get it. It's the righteousness way. It's pursuing his way of doing things. That's the way to get satisfied. It's to be like Psalm 42 and the deer that pants for streams of living water. You will drink and be satisfied. You will eat and find your hunger taken away. So in, in one sense, and I think in the sense of this verse, righteousness means pursuing God's way of doing things. And here's, here's just a testimony, an abstract testimony for you. In my life, I have never experienced God's prescribed way of doing things and done it and ever regretted it. Never once. Never once. I've got a lot of testimonies about doing the opposite of what God says and having a lot of regret. I've never had once where I've obeyed and regretted it. What's that mean? That means there's satisfaction there. There's satisfaction there. It can be be experienced. It can be had. Like I've never once pursued generosity with my money and just was like, oh, I wish I could get that money back. 
I have felt like the grip of trying to control my whole life. And one of the ways we control our lives is through our finances and how that's made me miserable. Because you never arrive. Let me just give you another one from, from marriage. The Bible says very clearly, God's way of doing things, God's righteousness that Jesus is talking about here, God's way of doing things is to confess your sins one to another. That's James chapter 5. And Ephesians 4, 32 says, forgive one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. So, for me, ground zero for the application of those two verses, confession and, and forgiveness, is my marriage. Right? And, and we've experienced that. And it's really hard. It's not easy. It's not always fun. Right? And here's the deal. Kim and I had a lot of conflict early on in our marriage, you know, first year, two, three, four, five. And we learned the, 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 the pain of not doing things God's way. But 20, almost 21 years later, I can tell you this, that the more we have sought to hunger and thirst for the righteousness of repentance and forgiveness like God has prescribed in his word, the more we've pressed into that to the degree that we believe that God knows what he's talking about, and, and, and pursued that like the deer pants for streams of living water, there's been satisfaction. There's been blessing. We are not perfect, but we're not what we once were. So we really want to do things God's way when it comes to our marriage. And we're not perfect at all, but we have tasted of the satisfaction of man, God, Jesus, man, we read this and we're seeking to apply it. And when we do it, man, it brings blessing. It brings satisfaction. The joy of repentance and forgiveness in my marriage for 21 years, we're not what we one day will be, God willing, but we're definitely not what we once were. Being able to look back and say, man, we're not what we once were. I'm more in love with my wife today at 20, almost 21 years than I've, than I've ever been. And that's satisfaction. Right? That's a form of satisfaction. See that? It's believing the promise, if you hunger and thirst for my way of doing things, you will be satisfied. Okay, God, it's like, so then we can respond and say, God, I, I get it. Like, man, when we get in that conflict, the repentance part, ooh, that just grates against everything that's in me. But I'm going to believe you by faith. I'm going to pursue it. And in the short term, it hurts. The flesh dies hard, and it really hurts. But long term, man, there's satisfaction. Long-term, man, there's blessing. Long-term, God's promises are proven to be true. That's satisfaction. Looking at God and going, man, God, you, you know what you're talking about. And I'm experiencing it right now. And it didn't, didn't feel that way in the short term, but, man, in the long term, I'll take it. I'll take it. So then what happens next time around? Little by little, you start to believe God more and more and more, and it gets a little easier. Oh, yeah, like for five years we were entrenched in conflict and didn't, didn't do repentance and forgiveness very well. That didn't really work out for me. And ten years later, after a decade of practicing this, it really feels like it's starting to pay off. Man, thank you, God, for being so faithful to tell me how the world works and how I can find satisfaction. You see what I'm saying? I just think this, this verse is profoundly motivating. 
that Jesus would say this to us. Like what every one of us longs for, he says you can find it. You just have to look for it in the way that he defines it. You hear that? He doesn't promise satisfaction any other way. He says there's satisfaction if you pursue, pursue my way of doing things. It's possible to get off the treadmill of pursuing satisfaction in all these ways that God has not prescribed. Sex, money, whatever. Like that's just a treadmill that leads to nowhere. It leads to a lot of effort and you never arrive. All this striving and sweating and pressure and we're just on that treadmill and are we ever going to get there? Man, we're just never getting there. Why is that? I'm just going to stay on this treadmill until I'm dead. Like that's where this leads. And what Jesus is saying is, no, come with me. You can get off the treadmill, come with me, and we're going to walk together. And it's not a treadmill walking. It's actual point A to point B walking. And because of the gospel, like we talked about right at the beginning, we want to get around Jesus. If that's true, and he's really done what he said he's done in terms of forgiving my sin and giving me adoption into his family, man, that's the best news in the world, so I want to hang with him. I want to walk with him. I want to go where he's taking me, right? And where he's taking me says satisfaction. There's a big sign, and that's where we're walking, and it says God's glory and my joy, God's glory and my satisfaction, and those two are not at odds. Isn't it amazing that that Jesus has dialed into your satisfaction? You don't have to, like, feel guilty about that. It's, I mean, it's, I'm not making this up. Am I? I mean, this is what the Bible says. That God's interested in you being satisfied. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's what John Piper says. It's, it's as true as it gets. This is evidence of that. A lot of us have this image of, of, of God being somehow like this grumpy old man in the sky that just wants us to like gut it out and do the right thing because we have to, even if we hate it. And that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, I've, I've, I've spread a table before you of, 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 of a meal that will satisfy you in a way that you can't ever even fathom. So why are you eating out of the dumpster? Like why is, the, why is why does drinking the sewer water why is that what we're doing? He's saying, you know, it can be better than that. It can be so much more deeply satisfying than that. Do it my way. By faith, believe that I know what I'm talking about and pursue my way of doing things. Ha- have I not shown that I'm trustworthy? God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Have I not shown that I'm trustworthy? So yeah, if you want satisfaction, I got it for you. Hunger and thirst for my way of doing things. Another angle on it, God's not holding out on you. God's not holding out on you. He promises to satisfy you. So real simple this morning, if you've trusted in Christ to forgive you of your sins and and adopt you into his spiritual family and given you this new identity that's eternal and can't be taken away, let's just keep believing the word by faith that he knows what he's talking about, because he does, that his way of doing things, his righteousness, man, just give it a shot. I dare you to hunger and thirst for God's way of doing things and see what happens. Just give it a shot. Giving it a shot is living by faith.
I will trust you. I will trust where you want to take me. It's evidence of saving faith in your life. I'm listening. I want to go. I want to go with you. I want to walk. Keep in step with your spirit, Galatians 5. I want to walk with Jesus, believing that where he's taken me is where I want to go, and it's most satisfying. Climb into his word. See what he says. Give it a shot. I think Jesus dares you to pursue your satisfaction as he defines it this morning. And he'll get the glory, we get the joy, and God's word will not fail. Let's pray.